And amen. May God add his blessing to that portion. Now we're going to, uh, this evening, just uh, change our format slightly and remain with this passage. Um, You know, friends, that we are living in uh, remarkable times. And nothing is quite the way we thought it was going to be. Nothing seems to have stayed the same in these last few days even. And our whole planet is engulfed in a spreading and and very dangerous and fearful virus. And it would be wonderful uh, if I was able, as your minister, for the sake of the congregation, to give you a portion of scripture that made it all clear and give you a set answer for everything that is here and that is happening and would put things back into some sense of normality. But we live under the rule of providence. We live under the kingship of Christ. And we know he is directing all things for his own greater glory and for the good of his people. And so we cannot then kick against the situation that we find ourselves in. And we know what we should do. We should submit to providence. And we submit to all of providence. Easy providences and hard providences. Plain providences and painful providences. But submitting to the providence that is happening, and it will happen whether we submit to it or not, that is not the same as having guidance for our living. Guidance for for our living, for our lives, comes only from the already revealed in place scriptures of the Old and New Testament. It does not come in the first instance from the still unraveling, still unfurling, still being revealed to us book of providence. That eternal decree of God that has been worked out in every moment and we know he is working it out but he has not told us the end from the beginning. He has not told us the meanings of all the events that are happening has not given us an, a, an infallible understanding of, of the events of providence and of our own lives, let alone of worldwide pandemics. There is only so far, if you like, that we can get, go and manage to travel if we hitch our, our wagon of our lives onto the, the wagon of providence. And that's not enough. And we very soon, as human beings, we crave more More help, more wisdom, more guidance, more leading of our souls. Now, the reason we've adjusted slightly our usual order, friends, after the address this evening, I want us then to have uh, time to call upon some of the brethren to pray further. I want to give a short address this evening from this passage before us. And taking as our text the words of the Lord from verse 37 to verse 40. And I'll read them again. 
Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now we have then just three points to guide our thoughts this evening. First of all, the priority of worship to God. The priority of worship to God. Secondly, the dignity of love to man. The dignity of love to man. And then thirdly, the harmony of the whole law. These are our three points. First of all, then, the priority of worship to God. The first thing to notice when you come to a text is always the same. It's always context. Jesus is being tested by his enemies here. First it was the Sadducees. And then it was the Pharisees. And as one of these Pharisees, who is now coming before Jesus and asking him, what is the most important of all the commandments? Now we, in our mind, will probably have a a spectrum of ten and wonder which one it might be from the ten. We're fairly sure that the Pharisees would have had in their mind a spectrum of hundreds and thousands, not only of the commandments that are in Scripture, of the ceremonial and the moral law and the judicial law, but all the additional rules and regulations they had added to them, which is the most important of all these. But Jesus, in responding, does not hesitate. He takes him straight to what we recognize as the Ten Commandments, And he binds together, first of all, the whole of the first table of the law. These commandments that relate to loving the Lord your God. And he says, that is the greatest and that is the first. And it is greatest and it comes first for a reason. Because nothing else compares to the priority of this commandment. And just to go again to where we are, as we face the unprecedented crisis, at least in our lifetimes and in many people's lifetimes, of this moment, and we wonder what to do sometimes, we are to remember the priority of the first and greatest command. The first table of the law, loving the Lord, loving the Lord. That is the first commandment. You are to have no other gods before me. You have no graven images or idols. There will be no taking of his name in vain. And you are to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. These, if you like, are the four headings of this point. The four legs. We often speak of the first table of the law. Well, here are the four legs of that table. The four commandments, each of them a different aspect of loving the Lord. Having him as your God, worshipping him the way that he requires, not with graven images. Using the material of worship he has given to you, the content, not with vain words. 
and upon the time that he has given to you on the Sabbath day. Service to God, love to God, worship to God, who to worship, how to worship, the content of worship, the timing of worship. That is what has to have the first place. Always. And then that applies whatever the context, whatever the providence, whether it is pleasant or painful, whether it is lovely or loathsome. This never changes. Your responsibilities never change. This stands. It is the first and it is the greatest. And we should be aware that as we face these difficulties and how to respond to them as a congregation, as a denomination, as Christians, we are to give the priority to the first and greatest command. Be very careful and be very wary in your heart of any falling from this command to worship God. We love the house of God. And we love to meet here on a Wednesday and through on the other side of that wall on a Sabbath. We love to join together in praise and we love to... Enjoy the sacrament as we did recently and come for extra services. That's not a problem to us. We love to be here. We can join in heartily with the psalm that we were singing in Psalm 84. My thirsty soul longs vehemently, yea, faints thy courts to see. And that is always to be the spirit of the believer. And if that spirit dips, if its fervency is blunted, Take care. If you ever detect something that is cooling the enthusiasm of your heart for the worship of God, if there's any drop in desire for worshipping your Saviour, that is enough of a red flag for you to stop everything you're doing and seek the Lord's mercy to recover the desire to worship him again. This comes first. Because of that, in this context, for as long as we are able to do so, we expect to be able to keep the house of God open during this crisis. We don't know if we'll all be physically able to do so. But as long as we can, we would intend to. We are loath even to entertain the thought of anything else. Because worshipping God is the first and greatest commandment. Nothing, even in the most difficult of providences, has a right to leapfrog this first and greatest commandment. The word of Christ himself says it. And his word cannot be broken. But we come secondly to the dignity of love to man. Because one of the most remarkable things about this section is the answer of the Saviour. 
One of the most amazing things to me is that Jesus didn't stop there at verse 38. Verse 38 is not the end of his answer. He even goes so far as to make a comparison between the first table and the second. The second, he says, is like unto it. There's something comparable between what I'm about to say and what I've just said. There's something comparable between loving your neighbour as yourself and loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that is quite surprising, we would say. We might have been able to guess at what Jesus would say in answer to this question But I think our guess would have stopped at the first part of it. What is then the second commandment that he goes on to say is like unto the commandment to love God? And it is the command to love man, your neighbour. Love thy neighbour as thyself. And this is a remarkable um, elevation we might say of the second table of the law we are to seek the good of our neighbor certainly that's that's not a nothing it's not an afterthought in the economy of the will and law of god to man that we are to seek the good of our neighbor and jesus of all he well knew what he was speaking of We know that the Saviour was made under the law. The whole of this law. For him the entire law in perfection had to be kept. Now he was tempted in all points of it. Like as we are. First and second table. Tempted in all points. But we might think, I think not unreasonably, that the laws commanding him to love the Lord his God were sweet laws to the Saviour in every way. The Lord, of course, is, is who he is. But we would think at a human level, it would be harder to keep the second table To love your neighbour as yourself. But he had to do both. But here he is aware of. Not only the first but the second table. In answer to this question. And he ennobles the second table we might think. And places right after the first commandment this second one. And says, care for, um, consideration of, love to our neighbour is demanded by the law. It is delighted in by our God. And it is delivered perfectly, of course, only by the Saviour. But it is standing, it is there. It is not something to be swept aside as an inconvenience. And this comes, of course, to be very relevant in our concerns just now as to our congregational response to the coronavirus crisis. 
what, for example, might be required of us in loving our neighbour at this time? What might be asked of us in the course of it? Well, we are to seek their good in all things. And that includes the physical well-being of our neighbour. We are certain, certain that the health of our bodies is not as important as the health of our souls. We know that. But nevertheless, it is not nothing. Physical health is not nothing. Danger to physical health is not nothing. It is not an irrelevance. It is not something we can simply sweep aside and say, oh, well, never mind. I am ready anyway. Think how often Jesus didn't take that view. How often he healed the sick. How often he cared for the needy. How often he fed the hungry and how often he visited the lonely. And I want to bring in the concerns that that probably we all in our hearts have about this virus. We all have dear ones whom we love dearly. And we greatly desire their good health. In the midst of this, we want them safe. We're anxious that what if something was to happen? And no doubt you've thought of ways already that you might be able to help. And you have worked through perhaps some initial steps you might be able to take to make sure others are all right and preserve their health. And that's really what is required of us in terms of the second table of the law. And that brings us then a bit to the nub of the problem And that is that for some people we are advised strongly by our government, by the medics, by the experts, by those who are grappling with it at a national level, that meeting together in close quarters and in public spaces and in groups bigger than half a dozen or a dozen is dangerous for those who are classed as being in vulnerable groups. And, you know, the the definition of these things, the over 70s, those with underlying health problems. And so the question then has to at least arise. In terms of the second table, are we right to carry on meeting for worship? Are we breaking the spirit of loving our neighbour by endangering one another if we carry on meeting. But then, of course, the worry is, but if we do that, am I putting my health above the worship of God? By coming to church, am I going to be in breach of the sixth commandment? On the other hand, thou shalt not kill us, the sixth commandment, And that requires us to seek to preserve both our own lives and the life of our neighbour. The commands, of course, are put in the negative and at the most extreme manner of breaking it. But everything up to and including that is under the scope of the commandment. So seeking to preserve life is the essence of the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Ours and our neighbours. 
how then do we square these things together? To working only on the second table of the law, we might be led towards the conclusion it's proper and fitting for us to stay away, to stay at home, not to go to anything public, church or anything, stay away. Working only on the first table of the, of the law, we might conclude, well, whatever else, I've got to go to church. And we have then this dilemma, this confusion, and this fear that we might find ourselves in a position where we have to break one or the other, and we don't know which one to break. And that takes us to our third point, which is the harmony of the whole law. Notice, first the thing that Jesus asked was, which command is the greatest? That was the point at issue. But the Lord in his answer, though he did tell which was the greatest and first, He chose to answer it in such a way that he stressed the harmony of the whole law of God. And instead of selecting only one of the Ten Commandments that he might have done, he summarized the first four into a single sentence. And then straight after that, he went on and summarized the remaining six in another sentence, And he put them together. He went ahead and put these two parts of the law. And took them as nails in his hands. And he drove them into the wall. Of the memory of the people he was talking to. And then he hung. The whole of the scriptures upon these two nails. He said upon these two commandments. Hang all the law and the prophets. The whole, now at that point just the Old Testament, but all that had been given of scripture to that point, hangs, says Jesus, upon the command to love your God and the command to love your neighbour. And he hangs the all of the Old Testament, not just upon the one, but upon them both. Why? Because Christ understands the harmony of all of the law of God and the importance of the harmony. Why does he not prioritize one part of the law over the other? Especially when he's already said that loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind is the first and greatest. And we would probably say, well, surely the first table of the law is more important than the second And it's true enough, but it's not enough to say that. You see, Jesus knew that if he said that, if he said the first table is where it's at, the first table is the priority in all situations, then people would use the first table of the law to excuse them from keeping the second table of the law. Do you remember that happened when people would say it's Korban? Their parents were in need. Let's put some money aside that could have been used to help their parents. And they would say it was devoted to the Lord so it can't be used to help their needy parents. They were 
Sikhism is devoted to God notionally. That was to alleviate them from the responsibilities of their second table commandments. To honour their father and their mother. And Christ disintegrated that argument and refused to accept it. See, the Lord knew that people would begin to place the two tables in opposition one to the other. If he had only answered with the one side of the law. And instead, Jesus is affirming here that there is never, never a contradiction between the commandments of God. No matter the circumstances, no matter the providence that you might be struggling with. There is no time when in order to keep one commandment, you are obliged to break another. There is no time when that happens. Jesus never went down the road or accepted the argument that sometimes you have to choose between the lesser of two evils. You've heard that argument, I'm sure. Imagine if that was true. I think we talked about this at some point over the communion weekend. I'm trying to remember now, but it's in my mind from somewhere recently. Imagine if some of us you genuinely did have to choose between the lesser of two evils. If there was situations in this life and there was no option but to sin in one way or the other. Your choice, your responsibility was to try to find the least sinful thing to do. Imagine if that was a temptation that you had to face. How would you cope? But more significantly, if that was a temptation that you faced, it would have to be a temptation that Jesus faced because he was in all points tempted like as we are. And you know, be sure that Satan, if there was such a thing, would be sure to place such a conundrum before Christ, inviting him to choose one evil or the other. Judge between the two, which is the lesser. <coughs> and we think, well, we choose the lesser. But if Jesus had chosen the lesser, he would have chosen an evil nonetheless. And what then for our Saviour? And what then for our hope? He was in all points tempted like as we are and only ever chose the lesser sin. Where would your salvation, where would your righteousness be? No, friends, no. Dear friend, no, it cannot be. There is no point for our Saviour or for us in which in order to keep one part of God's law, you must break another. Because there's a harmony between them. Now let's come back again to our very stark and relevant problem, which is what do we choose? Worshipping God or loving our neighbour? What do we choose? Coming to church or looking after our health? Well, we have to show sufficient care and love so that we can be able to say with some confidence that for those who are at greater risk, for those who are more vulnerable in their health, it's not a sin to stay at home and follow advice. It's not a sin. 
Remember Mr. Silverside's the late minister of Brooklyn used to always say, the only thing we're required to do is not sin. It's not a sin. It's a sin if you are delighted at that thought of getting out of church. It's a sin if you've been looking for an excuse and this is perfect. But if you would love to be in the house of God, but for the sake of either your health or the risk of bringing it to somebody else, you feel the weight of the second table as well upon you and you have to absent yourself to the breaking of your heart. That is not a sin. And we ought not to add an extra burden to those who are already heartbroken at missing the house of God and suggest that they're doing something sinful. The last thing we want to do, of course, is discourage anyone from coming to the house of the Lord. But we know that Tender consciences who love the Lord. They just love the means of grace. And many of us are not even allowing ourselves to contemplate the possibility of not being able to come to church. And that's a good way to be. That's a right way to be. It would be horrible if we were any other way. But if you, in the context of having thought about this, no doubt you have and talked about it with others in the past few days, if you've been afraid that to stay away, to stay away because either you're concerned that you could do damage to somebody else by spreading something or to yourself because you have a genuine health concern, the Bible finds no fault in doing that. And I think we can give a simple example to help us understand this. There are times when in your own sickness or in danger to others, the Bible does accept that we are not always able to be in the public means of grace. And you'll probably get ahead of me once I begin, but if we think simply of the biblical laws concerning leprosy. Not that long since we were looking at the thankful leper who returned, who was a Samaritan. But the, in Bible times, the scriptures required the man who had leprosy to live out with the camp of the Israelites, out with the towns, out in the wilderness areas. That was where they required to be. And they were required there, why? In order to stop and try to prevent the unnecessary spread of disease. That's why. Now, a consequence of that command was that that leper could not get to the temple, could not get to the public worship of God. And that's true. But he was still being obedient to the law of God. He was not charged with Sabbath breaking because of it. He should certainly have carried on private devotions. And the companies of lepers together may have been able to have enjoyed some fellowship together. 
each Sabbath day. But his condition debarred him while he had it from the temp from the public worship. Where he cured as Christ cured these men. He was no longer a risk to public health and he could return and rejoice. That his exile from the worship was over. But whilst he had it, he could abstain from worship and be blameless from public worship. And so in this way, the Saviour is demonstrating to us the harmony and emphasising to us the harmony of the whole of God's law. And we hope we love the Lord and we want to serve him. And he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And in seeking to keep his commandments, friends, you do not have to, I believe in this case, allow the evil one to have a field day with your conscience about temporarily and against your desires having to absent yourself from the house of God. Just before we close, a quote, maybe some of you may have seen that these things tend to get passed round and do the rounds. And I thought it was helpful just to see how other believers dealt with things in a different time, but from the same point. And this is a quote of Martin Luther. And in Martin Luther's time, there was the Black Death Plague, as it was known. And these are the words that he wrote. He was uh, writing a letter to a minister called Reverend Dr. John Hess. He says, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others then. If my neighbour needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy, and does not tempt God. Neither brash nor foolhardy, but neither does it tempt God. And so I think, friends, should our faith be in these times.